You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to a new Rooted Discussion episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am Tom Knezic, and this is episode 74. And, oh, man, it's been a while since we had a Rooted Discussions. I was actually looking today because I was trying to think back. It's been about 10 episodes, so we we skipped like one month. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought. I felt like we've really been letting people down (laughs) with not having them. uh, You know, you hit that time of the year, and it gets difficult to to, to gather that many people together in one room. Exactly. And we've had some really great guests in the meantime, and even – when we were planning for for this episode, we had some other really great guests that were pushing off a little bit so that we can uh, can get this one in as well. But, but this is one we've been talking about for a, a long time, maybe not out on the podcast, but behind the scenes, we've been mm-hmm. discussing this one for a long time, and we've been really excited about this one. Yeah, so I, I've mentioned before, I grew up in the, the nursery industry, um, but I really only started going to trade shows uh, probably five, six, seven years ago, and one of the things I noticed – uh, was that it was a really male-dominated crowd, uh, specifically a white male-dominated crowd. Um, and it's gotten better over the years, but it's still not equal by any means. And, Fran, now you've been going to these trade shows for a long, long time. Yeah, you know, off the air before we <clears throat> before we started this, I was saying I can think back in the late 80s and going to a trade show, and I can, I can name the probably the, the five women that were, <laughs> you know, at, at attending the trade show as – um, as someone that worked in the industry, not a wife or, or something like that. So it's it really was male-dominated, and that was my first uh, exposure to it. And it's really changed for the positive since then, but I'm sure it wasn't an easy process to do that because – you know, a lot of people, when they have control, don't want to relinquish – you know, there exactly. were there were certain – you know, when I started in the mm-hmm. nursery industry, the – my boss still had a bar in his office. Mm-hmm. You know, it was I was still dealing with like office bars and things like that. Like everything has changed, not just the nursery industry, but but life in general for the positive. But it's hard for me to speak on that as a white male. Yeah, but in native plants specifically, well, all plants, but native plants are for everybody. Nature is for everyone. Nature is for everybody. So we can't just have one segment or one demographic dictating what's out there. So we're really encouraged to see how many more women are stepping into this space. And uh, and instead of us telling us about how they've done it and, and how, if you're uh, someone listening at home, how you can do it, we decided to bring them on because um, we were lucky to have so many fantastic women, um, and not just women, but people that work yeah, in the ins- ecology and restoration and nursery space nowadays. Very inspirational people that yeah. I look up to, and I'm very happy that we're able to have this conversation. So, why don't we start uh, with who's on the left of my screen? And Randy, why don't you introduce yourself and um, and let everyone know who you are and where you're from and, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for having me. This is really exciting to be part of the podcast. This was uh, it's great to, to be invited, and I'm glad to have this opportunity. Um, so uh, I'm, I founded Toad Shade Wildflower Farm 25 years ago. Um, there were not very many nurseries at that time that focused exclusively on natives. Um, I came to it by a bit of a roundabout way. 
uh, started out in school as a horticulturalist, wound up becoming an entomologist, uh, was trained as a field research entomologist, got my PhD down at North Carolina State University. But the research projects that I was working on really involved very intently the interactions of plants and insects, native plants and insects, weeds and insects. Uh, Although I was working in agriculture, I was looking at the plants that were on the side of the field that were in the woodlands. Um, uh, Worked for the USDA for a few years and then really became frustrated because I couldn't find native plants. You know, I would go to traditional nurseries and they not only were the plants not available, they didn't even understand what I was talking about. Um, so I founded Toadshade Wildflower Farm 25 years ago so that I could make them more available, not just to restoration projects, but for everyone. So the gardeners could have them order them online or a mail order nursery. We were available to everybody and we could ship the plants to them and they could get native plants to put in their own landscapes, in their own backyards, in their own gardens. Um, because even even when um, I discovered that traditional nurseries weren't carrying any natives, there were there were wholesalers that were offering them to restoration projects. But really, gardeners were were stuck with um, oh interesting palette of Eurasian species to put in their mm-hmm. garden. So uh, so that's how that's how I got started here in the industry. So and I, I should have pointed out before I brought you on, Randy has probably been one of our number one most requested guests. So we're oh. glad we finally Yeah, I don't know if you know that, well. but we probably get at least one request yeah. a week to have you on the podcast. So we're excited to be <laughs> able to talk nice. to you. That's very nice. I will thank you for that compliment. <laughs> You'll have to have me back again. Oh, we will. <laughs> we will. And Amy, you're next on my screen. So why don't we, we get to you and um, same thing, introduce yourself and, and tell a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Hi, I'm Amy Green. Um, I been in the field of uh, environmental studies and ecological studies and restoration since uh, 1974. Um, uh, for over 33 years, I had my own environmental consulting business. We did a lot of wetlands uh, delineation, permitting, wetland restoration, upland restoration, endangered species studies throughout New Jersey and in uh, 10 other states in Washington, D.C., um, I, uh, I sold my business about a year and a half ago. And, uh, so now I'm free to work full time for nonprofits and volunteer work that I've always loved doing. Uh, um, I'm a longtime trustee of the nature conservancy, New Jersey chapter. Um, I'm chair of my open space committee here in town, uh, and on the environmental commission in Raritan Township, Hunterdon County, we like to plant trees and put up deer exclosures and preserve land and farmland. Um, I'm a, a trustee with the Conserve Wildlife Foundation of New Jersey, uh, who protect the uh, rare, threatened, and endangered wildlife in the state. Um, so I, I uh, Raritan Headwaters, uh, I used to be president of the South Branch Watershed Association before they merged. And uh, my husband and I ran a fundraiser, the Ride for the River. I can wear the shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> um, for uh, it's, we just had, I, I believe, our 18th one to raise money oh. for that organization. So, and were um, you were you doing all that while you still owned your own company? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. When the kids were little, I had to cut back, but now they're, they have their own kids. And so, of course, I'm grandma. Yeah. It's, it's funny because um, I saw you were on the, the New Jersey CWRP Cor- Corporate Wetland Restoration Partnership uh, meeting yesterday. That and too. Russ Fanari from PSNG and former guest was saying how, um, how this is someone re- retired. I can't remember who. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's retiring just means you have more time to do everything else yeah, and you're going to be Brummer, busier than ever. Yeah. So. Uh, Barbara Brummer, who's the uh, executive director of the Nature Conservancy, she uh, she used to be like president of J&J Canada, wow. and she retired from J&J and started a new career mm-hmm. uh, as head of the Nature Conservancy. She says she flunked retirement. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, Carolyn, you're next on my screen, so why don't why don't you uh, reintroduce yourself to everyone? Because you were on ep- one of our really early episodes from last June. It was the first episode after my wife and I had our son. Well, thanks for having me back. Um, I'm a Randy super fan, also, so it might have been one of my requests <laughs> that she came on. Um, my name is Carolyn Clauva, and I'm the stewardship director for the Starland Conservancy. I got into this field um, in college. I worked in the urban forestry department over um, college, now School of Environmental and Biological Sciences. And um, I did ecological research. I worked in the Mojave and Sonoran Desert doing uh, invasive species and fire ecology. And then did work over in the New Jersey Pine Barrens for my master's degree and then came over and started working in the Princeton area and the Sourlands and then transitioned into nonprofit work doing um, stewardship. So I've kind of been all around in ecology, different, doing different things, whether it's research or the more applied stewardship side. But um, I'm really excited to be included in this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. And Debbie, you are next. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Debbie DeCava. Thank you so much for including me on this panel. I'm excited to learn about everyone. Uh, I am a milkweed entrepreneur, so I kind of take it from a different uh, angle. And so we work at conserving monarch butterfly habitat by paying people for milkweed. And um, so we are really protecting already um, biodiverse areas. And we pay people for milkweed. And when you pay people for milkweed, they um, tend to let it grow and expand their areas. And so it's kind of a reverse (laughs) ecology, like kind of psychology, where if you can value something, um, people will create more of what what you're what you're paying for so it's a completely different spin on that i'm actually second generation milkweed entrepreneur so um we've we just hit our 34th year in business i started working with my dad when i was in high school so awesome uh, part of the part of the reason Tom and I are excited to talk to all of you because you're all very very successful as well. So mm-hmm. you've all navigated this industry very well, which isn't necessarily an easy thing for anyone, um, as as we know, as yeah, I that, know. And that was until you all started to introduce yourselves. I didn't realize that 
many of you are entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. You started your own businesses and, and built them up, which is also really impressive. Exactly. So, and I, before we get too far, uh, Debbie probably has maybe the only job title that's better than yours, Fran. That is true. And that's, uh, Fran <laughs> is the Sultan of Sales. <laughs> Debbie, what is your, your job title? <laughs> I'm the milkweed maverick. Yeah, that is that is pretty awesome. I have to go back and retool my job title now. <laughs> oh, yeah, some people have called me Amy Green, the wetland queen. So. Oh, well, see, that's you, you know what? That's that's, that's pretty good too. No, that's a t-shirt, Amy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get that one made for you. Um, so I, I have thought great Pinelands Nursery you know, clothes here too. Awesome. <laughs> I like those. Awesome. Um, so I thought it would be a very good place to start just going back to what drew you to ecology, what drew you to nature and, and how you ended up choosing this line of work. Like what were the processes for you to, to say, this is what I love and this is what I do. Tom and I were saying the one common thread that we've noticed through everyone that we've interviewed in this industry is they all love this industry. You can go to a lot of industries and there's people that hate what they do. Mm-hmm. But you know, and there may be aspects of your job that you don't like, but everyone here truly loves what they do. So I always find it interesting where that love came from because you're obviously all still doing it. You're, you're all still here. So if we could start there, um, we'll j- randomly, Carolyn, what was what was your inspiration to take up this line of work? Um, that's a good question. I don't really think there was much of a choice, active choice that went into it. I think it was just that I love being outside and I'm a naturally very curious person. So I was always investigating something and always looking at something and, um, when I was in school, again, like the only things that really like drew me in were like science classes and environmental science classes. And when I got to college, um, I had thought that maybe I wanted to be a vet or something. Cause that's the only thing I really thought you could do with science. It wasn't being an engineer. And I learned very quickly that I did not want to be a vet. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I had taken an ecology class just as one of those, you know, broad, freshman or maybe sophomore year classes. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And then I started taking more and more. And then I got into the plant science classes and I was like, oh no, this is what I want. And I just, you know, really dove in and not even dove in, was drawn in, you know, the professors that I had were so engaging and the, the topics and the, the questions that they were asking were just so fascinating to me that I just I couldn't get enough of it so I found myself always doing more and going to professors and being like I want to be part of your lab (laughs) and they're like well we don't have a position I'm like I don't care I'll sleep before I just want to be part of what's happening here I want to know what's what's happening I want to understand the different projects that you're going to be doing and so you know it really to me it wasn't an active choice of oh I must do this it was I, I I have to there's there's not another option so as as a teenager getting ready to go to college, what kind of guidance were you getting from, say, guidance counselors? Were they – like if, if you don't know what you want to do, that's a difficult position. There, there's people that are hell-bent that say, I'm going to do this and this is my path. But for someone that doesn't know and as a woman entering that field, what kind of guidance were you getting? Um, none. None. Okay. <laughs> 
you know, it was, you're really good at English. Maybe you should be an English major. And, you know, I, I loved English. I loved reading. I loved writing. Um, but there really wasn't, there was nobody pushing me saying you should do science. Other than my, you know, my father did environmental science. And I, in um, he worked for Columbia Lamont Doherty Lab doing oceanography work when I was little. Um, but, uh, you know, so I kind of seen, you know, some environmental stuff. But, again, that was all, that was a, a dad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not a me thing. And it was all men. Everybody on the ship, everybody in the lab. Like, it was all mm-hmm. male. Um, but, you know, but he and my mom also very much encouraged my curiosity. I was involved with Audubon Society when I was little, doing their nature camps. Uh, Dale Roslett uh, was one of my teachers. I know she's one of the directors of education now, but back in the day, she was my uh, Audubon Society teacher. But nobody really said you should do science. It was more of, you know, going more down towards English and and that realm. But once I really got into those ecology classes, there was just, you know, the professors were very welcoming towards me. Um, and so it just kind of opened the door and, and I could just waltz on in. Part of the reason why I'm asking, because at, at that time, like we were talking about um, our industry being male dominated. So I'm, I'm curious the kind of guidance you're getting from a male dominated industry as a female coming in are they steering you in the right direction like one of the things um tom's father when when we had his surprise retirement party don knezik were all the women that stood up that Mm -hmm. were saying how don mentored them and helped them you know realize what they wanted to do And, and i was very proud of don that but i don't know that that's that necessarily represents a lot Mm -hmm. of the industry um and and okay so yeah so i um in the forestry industry is different for me than being the academic setting so in the academic setting i had a lot of very positive welcoming interactions with both male and female professors when i my first job out of college um I applied for a position with a well-known um, tree company, for rest, you know, forestry company. And I was hired pretty much on the spot and was told I would make the women customers very comfortable. And I was like, that's not why I want to work here, you know, and, and realizing that that he was valuing me because I was a woman and I have better sales for him, not because I was smart or capable or had any idea what I was doing. Um, and I turned down the job uh, right away because I was just like, this is not the type of situation that I want to be in because I want to be valued for my brain, not because of my gender and what the sales are going to be doing. So um, I had some really phenomenal professors. Um, one of them, Dr. Jason Gabowski at the Urban Forestry Lab and Records. Um, I am a learning disabled student. Um, and so I'd really struggled a lot, especially I loved uh, science, but I had a hard time with math. But, you know, he was somebody that looked at my disability, not as a disability, but as a superpower. The fact that I had ADHD and I could, my brain would go in all different directions and connections. 
he was like, I love that. And this is, you know, this is how you can use that in this situation. And so for me, I don't, I just, I feel very fortunate for the people in my life that, you know, took something that could have been viewed as a disability and instead saw it as a superpower. So I too have very wonderful mentors, you know, male and female that really helped catapult me to the direction that I'm going in. Awesome. Uh, let's, Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing that, by the way. That that was wonderful. Um, Amy, let's throw it over to you, and I'm going to throw – I'm going to ask you the same questions, but I'm going to throw an extra one on top. Okay. <laughs> and that is, did you always know you wanted to be – like I want the same progression, but did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur, or do you feel that that was out of necessity? Okay, so to answer that question – I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. My father uh, had his own business. He started out as a welder during World War II, started a welding and boiler company and started manufacturing swimming pools. And we all had to work at his company. Uh, And then when my older brothers went out in the business world, they had their own businesses. So I thought that's, that's just what you do. So were you welding? Like doing all welding? Because that's another. No, my job, my first job when I was a little kid at the shop was emptying the ashtrays. So it was a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) But later I worked in, you know, accounting and billing. um, But, uh, yeah, when, when I was growing up in the, you know, 50s and 60s, women were supposed to be secretaries or teachers or nurses or stay at home moms or something. But um, I guess I wasn't, you know, that wasn't drilled into me in my family. I, you know, I guess my father thought I was just another son or something. But um, they gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh, I took this, there was a Saturday science program for kids at the Newark Museum. And I'd take the bus over there and learn about science. And then uh, we got to go, I got to go to camp. Uh, growing up in Newark, I was across the street from Weequake Park, even the uh, vacant lot next door. I uh, I like to play in. And then when we moved to West Orange, um, a little more wild there at the time, I'd just go play in the woods. And I figured if I followed the stream all the way, I'd be able to find my way back home. But, you know, like you were saying, Carolyn, just so interested in, you know, observing everything and watching everything. And then in school, I, I liked the biology. I liked math I like the geology really fascinated me um and then uh the environmental movement was happening in the late 60s you know earth day I guess was 69 something like that and uh I got involved and I I volunteered at the recycling center and and felt that well maybe uh this might be what I want to do well there were no environmental degrees at that time in college um, and I was good at math. I said, well, maybe I'll, I went to Boston University uh, College of Business Administration. Well, that was really boring. So, <laughs> you know, I started taking biology and uh, geography, you know, that really grabbed me, you know, ecology. Um, my biology professor was Lynn Margulis, a pretty famous biologist, um, George Lewis, uh, taught several geography classes uh, and uh, we learned about natural stuff and had a lot of, I always love field trips, my favorite thing. Um, and we learned about 
things like greenhouse gases and the problem with fossil fuels. This is, you know, like 1972. It makes me cry that we're still working on this problem. Um, but, uh, well, that was long answer to a short <laughs> No, that's – you know, it made me think of – I don't know if you're familiar with Louise or Heidi Flemmer of, of the Flemmer family that owned Princeton Nurseries. But when I started working there, they both shared with me that growing up, even though they were up to a third generation, um, a family that owned that nursery, which was one time the largest nursery in the world, their paths were lined out from their parents as children. And it was, Louise, you're going to be a nurse. And Heidi, I can't remember what Heidi's profession was supposed to be. And then uh, Bill, you can you can be part of the nursery. And it was, and they followed those directions mm-hmm. because they thought that's what they were supposed to do. Louise became mm-hmm. a nurse. I can't remember what Heidi's was, but eventually mm-hmm. they gravitated. They wanted to be part of the nursery. And and Heidi and her husband own Pleasant Run Nursery now. Like that was what she wanted to do. I, I think it's funny that Louise left the nursery to go back to be a nurse. Like, yeah, <laughs> like at some point yeah, she decided maybe. Are- People. Yeah, <laughs> so it's you yeah. know, and it was a different time, and not all of these degrees or professions existed at that mm. time, and right. I didn't even account for that. But it was just interesting at a time where it was, you know, you can't do this. You're going to do mm. this. This is what we see for you. And well, they were it like, was okay. Also, the time you know, the women's liberation movement was mm. growing, and uh, I always liked to do things that women weren't supposed to do: ride motorcycles, play ice hockey. You know, own my own business. And uh, now, you know, I don't have to work as hard at that. It's getting a little better. But, yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, Amy. I, yeah. I I love that. That's that's a great perspective that I wasn't even thinking about. So I I appreciate that. Um, Debbie, would you like to go next? Sure. So I um, was bitten by the milkweed bug early, so like <laughs> sixteen. I knew I wanted to work with milkweed and. Um, when I went to school, I actually took a um, honors biology class where we learned about the rainforest and we took a trip to Belize. And that is where I really dug into um, biodiversity and the importance of biodiversity. So as a milkweed entrepreneur, everyone wanted to farm milkweed. And I'm like, but that actually isn't the best way to handle this. Like we want to, all the monarchs need successional blooms and they need this and they need that. You know, it's like all these different things that I learned about from the Belize rainforest um, that, you know, there's just different interactions with the plants and the animals and all these different things that um, I was able to bring in a different perspective. It took a while um, but the only reason that they kind of went my way was they were going to go out of business trying to farm <laughs> milkweed. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, so we decided to work with nature rather than trying to tell nature what to do. And uh, it's worked out a lot better for us. So, um, you know, I am probably more like a fighting tiger. <laughs> like, this is what we need to be doing what you don't want to do. You know, because I think, um, and I don't want to, men look at, like, I can tell anyone what to do, when to do it. Right? With milkweed, it's like, you're not telling me what to do. <laughs> it's just the plant. And so um, the plant 
just fits my personality. And so uh, we work well together. I I was going to say in general, just changing someone's perception is not an easy thing. You know, but you you tend to do it well. Is that something that you've had to learn or is that just something that's always been you? Uh, No, I mean, that is something that has been a really long time in the making because people don't change their minds, um, you know, unless they're absolutely forced. So uh, it was really I I would go to the ACLA or the um, American Speed Association meetings when I was, you know, just starting. And uh, that was really interesting because, like you said, you know, it's like I'm one of the only women in the room. And at the time I was 20-something, so it was interesting interrupt interesting situation. But the, the seed industry, I think, is still a little bit far behind uh, as compared to the nursery industry. I've we're involved in the seed industry as well. So I go to some of those trade shows and it's not, well, what I've been told is there's some women who started going to these meetings and there were men who did not like it. And they were the only women in the room. And I know these two women and they're not that old. Uh, I'm guessing they're in their early to mid forties. I don't, I don't want to, um, I'm hoping I'm undershooting too. <laughs> as a, I'm not, I hope I'm not insulting them by saying that I think that's their age, but that's not that old to to be combating that still when we've seen so much progress in other industries so for you to be doing the same thing and being the only woman in the room that's something that i still see especially in the seed industry and i'm right. sure yeah i'm sure that's an intimidating position to be put in as well mm-hmm. I, I would imagine like i i can imagine how i would feel if that were me Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's nice that it's come a long way, but we're still really far away. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> like I'm I I don't want to make it sound like oh it's great now. It's there's been progress, and it's it's great that you can see the progress. But I'm hoping, you know, it's I'm I'm hoping yeah. as the generations go on. Like I noticed that you know we've talked about this all the time. My kids are a lot more tolerant, or this their generation is a lot more tolerant than my generation. My generation is a lot more tolerant than my parents. I'm mm-hmm. hoping it gets better. But sometimes if you don't see the history, you don't know because we've also talked about like our kids can see a forest and think that's what a forest looks like. And we see it and we're like, oh, this has gotten so much worse over the last 30 years. Like you hope that they understand the perspective so that things get better as well. So sorry, sorry to cut you off. It was just something that struck me with the seed industry in particular, that that's a a tough room to walk into even today as, as a woman. Yeah, and I think, actually, I don't, you probably are aware of Robin Ernst, you know, that oh, yeah. is yeah. someone who, um, she and I were there, we're both in our 20s, and we're doing our thing, and yeah, you're. it wasn't um, super welcoming, but at the same time, we both knew what we were talking about, she's amazing at land restoration, and um, I'm an expert in milkweed, and, you know, it's just... Um, it's a different, like you said, it's a different kind of thing. But, you know, to be a milkweed entrepreneur, like you got to be brave to go anywhere. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> does what you do. <laughs> so it's just a different uh, thing. And, you know, you're at the Seed Association. And so they're like, well, what seeds do you work with? And I'm like, I work with milkweed. <laughs> like, what else? Milkweed. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> 
<laughs> one weed a lifetime. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but a very important one. Yeah. That's an extremely important one. Debbie, thank you so much. Randy, how about you? Uh, we'd love to hear your experience or your your path as well. My path. My, 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 you know, it, it didn't. My path. How did I get here? Uh, I didn't really choose this. It sort of chose me. Okay. Um, my parents, who would have liked me to have been in a more traditional field, um, they were very open to letting me do what I was going to do, even though they really never understood what I was doing. Um, you know, I was, I was the, we had a, we had a creek behind the house. I spent an enormous amount of time in the creek, falling in the creek, getting in trouble for my mother for falling in the creek. She'd then have to scrub my skin off because God only knows what I'd gotten on me. Um, I spent my time in the woods. My brother remembers me from when I was tiny, turning over rocks and playing with the insects that came to the windows at night. Um, I, I was that kid, you know, um, and, you know, the highlight of my year was going to summer camp, which was down off the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, you're supposed to sign up for different things. I was either in the nature group or I was sailing. Those were the two <laughs> things I was doing or just sort of skipping it all together and wandering around through the woods, picking up snakes. Um, you know, this was just sort of what I was always going to do at one level or another. And to speak to something that Amy said, you know, ecology was kind of new. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was actively discouraged from going into ecology because I was like, what are you going to do? Be a hippie? <laughs> you know, like, like the, this, was, this was like ecology. You didn't major in ecology. It's just like, <laughs> so, I, so I went into plants. I went into horticulture. I went into plants. And that, that, was, that was very cool. But, I mean, I was... That kid, you know, my brothers and I had a paper root. I remember filching some bird seed and planting it in a little patch, not on my own property. I grew up in the woods. There was no sun on my property. Pat, planting it in a little patch of seed along the newspaper root and watering it to see what would grow. It's like, it's like they're seeds. And I was a little kid. I was like, what, 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 what? what I, was, I was astonished that it was a grass that grew. Of course, it was millet. But I didn't know that. I was like, what, what does this turn into? It's like, they're seeds of what? I don't know. Um, but then, you know, going into, you know, going up through college, because I, I was in horticulture and then I was into agriculture. Um, I was at a conference in North Carolina where after we had breakfast, the president got up and addressed all the ladies in the room and said that the buses were out front for everybody to get on and go shopping for the day. I was at that conference. Um, I was at, when I was at the USDA, there was a small working group I was part of. And there was one gentleman, and I don't think it's, it's, it's industry-wide. There's always, there's always going to be individuals. You know, there was one individual who wouldn't address me. There was only 10 of us sitting around the table. I explained what my research was. I was sitting next to a guy I worked with. His name was Mike. I explained what my research was. And this gentleman looked to Mike and said, well, Mike, if that's true, then can you explain this? And Mike said, I don't know. It's Randy's research. And then I would answer the question and he would readdress Mike. It was the most surreal thing you can imagine. So these things, this was the late eighties, you know, um, 
So you just, there's sort of a joke in my family. Actually, if you want to get anything done, just tell me I can't do it. <laughs> um, you know, you tell me no, and it's just like, hmm, that's what I'm doing next. Yeah. Got it. Very good. Um, and I think that's, um, things have changed so much now because there are so many women in the industry. And ecology is not now, what are you going to do? Grow up and be a hippie with an ecology degree? Um, you know, really the, the, the PhD research that I did was an ecological study. You know, it was, it was, it was a crop and it was insects on the crop, but it was an ecological study. Um, and it was just, you know, I, I had some, I had some great folks along the way, most of which, almost all of which were men because that's who was there. Uh, Fred Gould down at North Carolina state university is a ecologist. Um, he came up to me, it was probably 1989. Uh, I had not finished my PhD yet. I was almost done. And they were getting ready to hire a soil scientist, or a soil entomologist. Um, and he said, you know, Randy, would it, do you think it would have made a difference to you if there was a woman research entomologist on the faculty? And I said, Fred, I have no idea because I've never seen a woman research member of the faculty, three universities. I'd gone through three universities and I'd never seen one yet. The few women that were on the faculty were in hundred percent teaching positions. And of course now I know it's like, of course, yes. And they did hire a woman. Yay. Um, but it was, they, they just, they just weren't there. Um, another person that entered me, mentored me was the, uh, Clyde Smith, he was a professor emeritus at North Carolina State University, Department of Entomology. He was the uh, retired department head, and I had been working with him for a couple of years on a publication that he and I put out, and I needed to do some uh, photography, uh, some micro photography for the publication, and we needed to use someone else's lab space, and uh, that particular scientist was a bit of a, oh, we'll call him old school. And he, you know, Clyde was, Dr. Smith, he was in his, probably his 80s at that point. And this other professor, who shall remain nameless, um, dismissed me. In f- there was only three of us in the room and, and, and dismissed me fairly significantly. And Clyde Smith just jumped down his throat, pointed out to him that he had hired him and that I was working with him and that he had no right to speak to any graduate student in the department that way, and he should just shut up. And Clyde was just like, have you got that? And the professor was like, she can use all my equipment anytime she wants to. That's fine. (laughs) So, I, I mean, I worked with some really great men that just didn't really, you know, they, they didn't care if you were, you know, male, female, green, purple, orange. It didn't really matter. They were really excellent uh, mentors. And it was really important in the day when uh, women really were, you know, the minority in all kinds of field positions, you know, whether it was, whether it was agriculture, horticulture, uh, ecology, um, you know, I mean, I was just glad when we could actually find decent work gloves that fit women's hands. That was a real bonus. Wow, I didn't even think about yeah. that. Oh, oh yeah. 
My first work, <laughs> yeah. boot, my first work boots were um, boys' hiking boots because I couldn't yeah. find women's work boots. Wow. Yeah. A lot of my uh, feet. <laughs> right. A lot of my field clothes are boys extra large because wow. they wouldn't, you know, they don't have women's venting field clothes, you yeah. know, SPF shirts. Now they do. But when I first started doing this, like 15 years ago, you know, That's, it was particularly yeah. fun trying to find pregnancy work clothes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And that's they're something. Uh, they, they, they don't. They don't exist. They don't exist because they're all supposed to have little frills on them. I'm like, hmm, not going to work. Now that's yeah, something, when, friend. I definitely take for granted, and yeah. um, like that's something we don't have to face. What, what are some other challenges that you've had to face? Uh, I know our original question was just to break into the well, field, but it's because I, I want to, and and it's something that Randy brought up, and and this may have been a challenge. And, and I'm going to get sidetracked and, and probably expand a little bit. But when you mentioned like your parents' perception of what it was you wanted to do, I, I still find for our industry when I try to explain to people what I do, they either assume I'm a gardener or a landscaper. They, they don't <laughs> – they, they, they automatically just don't understand the industry and, and what goes on. And I think to a certain extent my parents still feel that way even though like growing up – we went fishing. We we went to a lot of parks and nature centers and things like that. They didn't comprehend the business of of what we do. So was that a challenge for you? Just making those choices. Um, you know, a perfect perfect example. And it's a little off where I grew up, and I haven't done this in a while, Tom. Oh, yeah. In, in yeah. Levittown, is- Pennsylvania, which was a, a large suburb, a very blue class neighborhood, um, blue collar uh, working class neighborhood. Big thing like in our school, sports were horrible. Everyone wanted to be part of the musical theater program, and that was hard for a lot of parents to really comprehend. They wanted their kids to play football or be a cheerleader. They didn't want them to sing, and it was a nationally renowned uh, program. It was the first high school to test Les Mis, uh, and and Rent I think was another one. And they actually did a TV show about. It. I can't remember the name, but it had Rosie Perez about a. About a drama program at a high school. It only lasted like one season or two seasons, but it was that big of a deal that it, a book was written about it, and they made it into a NBC um, thing. So it was challenging parents' perception of what you want to do when you inside know what you want to do, and like it's not even really most people that I talk to still don't understand what I do. Was that a challenge for any? And I'm not going to pick any particular person. It was that a challenge to any of you moving forward, getting into this? Well, I think I'm going to turn it around a little bit. And what I see as a common theme with all of us is we were curious, passionate, good at, you know, these fields. And we were going to, we, and I think we all have like these positive attitudes and, you know, we're kind of driven. (laughs) So that those kind of things don't slow us down. You know, we keep going (laughs) forward we keep educating people. We keep mentoring people, male and female, and uh, you know maybe keep working on people who don't quite get it, or you know just keep going forward. Um, I think that's success is because it's hard. It's hard in any field, no matter what gender you are, and then it's hard to be young and female and to be respected as an expert in the field. You know, I've encountered some snide remarks when, uh, or, or they didn't even realize they were negative. I, I went, I was 
qualified <laughs> as an expert witness, you know, before a planning board. And I get up there and, and they say, oh, you're a, oh, how, you've been lurking 10 years? What did you start when you were, whatever, 10? And then, uh, uh, oh, our, our environmental experts, you're much better looking than our environmental experts. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are they saying things like that? I was so glad when my hair turned gray. You know, maybe I get a little respect. <laughs> but, you know, we... We just keep teaching people about what our field is and keep trying to be the best we can be in our field. So I totally agree. I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest challenges, um, and this is probably going to get real uncomfortable for a second, being a female researcher, you're outside by yourself a lot. In nature, and you're breaking a lot of rules that you're told by your parents and your grandparents and everybody around you. Do not go out to the woods by yourself. Do not go to the same place and the same route day after day. And um, I've worked out, you know, in the desert by myself and with other field researchers. And there's Mojave Green uh, pit vipers out there. They had the highest toxicity of any. Uh, Make, I think in the United States, they're one of the most toxic. There's unexploded ordinances. We're on an army base. You know, been over here. There's bears, you know, other creatures. And I've never been afraid. The only thing I've been afraid of is men. The only thing that has made my heart race while I am outside working, doing my job, is somebody coming up to me, and especially if I'm not aware of them has scared me more than anything else. And I think that's the biggest challenge of, um, you know, being a woman working in the woods alone. That, it, I mean, that in and of itself is a challenge. Um, and I think part of that is over time, you know, becoming more secure in myself. But also having my parents, even though I'm 35, still texting me being like, are you alone? Are you okay? <laughs> You know, or my husband saying, take Mace out with you. I'm like, what is this going to (laughs) do? You know, really. But, you know, that I think is something that a lot of women experience. And we're told over and over and over again, you know, the boogeyman. But the boogeyman is some man that I might not know. Or, you know, and that something is is something that's, like, been on my mind after, you know, you had asked me what my experience is like as a woman in this field, for the most part, I've had really wonderful, positive experiences, but that's something I think is probably uniquely unique to my situ or, you know, our situation collectively. Yeah, I agree. Like men don't realize that or, or now, you know, we talk a lot more about diversity and how people of color maybe feel that, you know, fear or discrimination and, you know, uh, and we can relate people. to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although the boss in me is like, really, we should go out in pairs. Anything can happen. <laughs> but I've been out in the right. field too. When I was pregnant, um, I guess with my first kid and my boss was the guy, Dr. John Coppin. And um, I went out to Staten Island, to the Con Ed, Arthur Kill Generating Station to collect data. Uh, it was good. I was a little bigger, so I could plow through the Phragmites better, you know. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was walking in the tile marsh in the mud, and 
probably kind of stupid, but um, yeah, John Coven, he, he was he was so protective. He was so afraid to let me go out in the field alone, you know. When I was pregnant and I went at night to get my master's in ecology from Rutgers while I was working full time. And um, one of the professors, uh, uh, he really was nervous that I was sitting there pregnant. He was afraid. I don't know. He thought I was going to give birth any time. It just like made him anxious, you know. So there's a lot of things that we, we encounter uh, as women professionals. You know, it's absolutely. I, I found it even preparing for this today. For myself, I was very intimidated, um, only because I have no experience yeah. to, to to to. I'm trying to understand, and I, I don't want to insult. And I respect all of you so much that I wanted to make sure we conduct this in a way mm-hmm. that we don't insult anyone. But but you can tell the story of of. You know, there's a lot of great things, and you're all very successful. And we want to make sure if there are things along the way that that people need to be aware of to be fixed or to help someone reach the level that you're at, that we're highlighting those things. So it was, you know, if if I if I end up steering anything in a bad direction or saying something incorrectly, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm apologizing in advance. But please tell me <laughs> also. <laughs> yeah. So Carolyn, I do want to uh, go back to what you were just saying about being alone in the field. And feeling threatened from men, what is, as a man, what's something that I could do to prevent that from happening? Don't tell me you watch me every day come out to the field. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't don't point a shotgun at us. That would be good. I've had that happen. I've had that happen. Don't don't pull your sidearm. Thank you. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of talking to other women, my counterparts at other organizations have had really intimidating interactions with um, men. And I, you know, and I don't, I, as a, a male, I, what you could do, there's nothing other than don't be a creep <laughs> or a jerk. <laughs> you know, I don't know what to say, yeah, you know, it. as far as that goes, like I'm, a person just moving through the, the world is not somebody that scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's, if I saw you and you asked, Oh, Hey, what are you doing? You know, that, that doesn't frighten me. You know, I think a lot of it is more of what women have been told, you know, and I mm-hmm. guess this goes back to earlier. If you stay in your lane, this is what you're allowed to do. These are the careers you're allowed to do. I think that's more that, that breeds that fear rather than a negative interaction, which I've had a few, but I've also had negative interactions with women too. So it's not, it's, I think it's more something that's been uh, trained into us mm-hmm. as a child, you know, and I think that needs to be broken mm-hmm. yeah. that you can be safe moving through this world, you know, and, and um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any good advice other than, yeah. Well, I, I think the don't, the don't be don't a, be a creep, creep, don't be a jerk don't be a advice is good. You guys are okay. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry. Well, that's, I, I was just thinking when I'll go to some of these conferences, a lot of times they're in cities and I'll be coming back from dinner. I'm walking by myself and just, I have a long stride. So I'm walking pretty fast and you'll have a woman walking by themselves. So sometimes I'll even cross the street or I'll kind of announce myself that, Hey, I'm going to pass you on the left just to, and it's probably overkill for the situation. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything wrong. I know that. But I don't want them to feel unsafe because there's some big hulking person slow or not slowly, but quickly coming up behind them. So 
It's just, uh, yeah. I wasn't sure if you had like just little things like that, that can make a big well, difference. That is nice. I mean, my husband's also six three. He's a big man. Mm-hmm. He's had the same yeah. thing where he <laughs> yeah. didn't realize that he was intimidating mm-hmm. a woman, you know, by walking by her really fast and she jumped and got startled. And I was like, but this is what we've been told yeah. from our childhood that these people are going to hurt you. And majority of people will not hurt you. You know, most, almost everybody is good, you know, but, um, I think that was just something that, um, I have a bunch of interns and when I ask them when I'm inter- like interviewing them, I'm asking, you know, what, are you okay working outside by yourself? What do you, you know, this is generally you'll be with somebody, but sometimes you might be by yourself. Are you okay with this? And everybody's afraid of bears. Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just like, that, you know, that's okay. But, you know, I think that that's just something I, I just wanted to say of like, as my experience that, you know, bears don't make my heart race, mm-hmm. you know, um, but as, uh, Amy talking about before about being pregnant and being in the field, I mean, that was also a challenge carrying field equipment and a big belly. And then you're two miles out in the woods and you have to pee every 20 minutes cause you're pregnant. And, um, for me, I chose to nurse my children. And so when I was out in the field, I have to bring a breast pump out with me and pump milk for my kids while I was at work and carry that back and forth. I mean, it was bonkers. And there's no, you know, there's no private nursing room <laughs> or, you know, pumping facility out in the woods. So, you know, there's definitely some unique things, you know, being a woman or, you know, or a, per, a parent in this field and, and that, you know, you don't, if you're a man, you probably don't think about those things. No. I, I, you, other than you bringing them up, I hadn't thought about <laughs> stuff at all. Especially, like, especially the clothes. I really didn't even. I never. That never because, occurred to me. Yeah, I go to the store. I order them online <laughs> and get them. But yeah, to have like need different size gloves and they're just not available. That's yeah. I didn't nope. perceive I that as an Home issue. Depot, Home Depot the other day to buy gloves for my interns, and there was no small. Yeah. It was large and extra large. And I was like, Amazon. these hands. Yeah. I need small. <laughs> One size fits all. No. No, it yeah. really doesn't. And, uh, and I kind of feel like I, I'm curious that I would love to know the enrollment numbers like in colleges for, or uh, in colleges for this field because I kind of feel the trend is going like I, I know for us with the podcast, like the bulk of our followers and listeners are female. Um and I, I think I, it's about 50-50 now, Fran. Okay. I, I really yeah. do. Um, in a lot yeah. of the biological sciences, a lot of the field sciences and ecology, um, uh, we're pretty close to parity. All right. Yeah. I, I would say, like, when I was in college 15 years ago, it it was just about 50-50 in my program. Uh, hmm. um, and then now, even in grad school, uh, my, my – uh, graduate advisor was a woman she was fabulous dr jennifer crewman and you know a real powerhouse but again i would say 50 50 everywhere even with my you know people applying to be interns with me it's split right down the middle wow so based on that if we're if we're saying where we're at now uh is 50 50 and and maybe even head it head it towards being more female dominated do you feel that a gender bias still somewhat exists in the industry and that it is still male dominant, even though it's, it's working towards a 50, 50. I think in stewardship it's 50, 50 or maybe a little bit more female heavy than, but as far as, uh, 
forestry, it's, I feel like forestry is just still completely male dominated. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, and it, so it's not just who has the degrees and maybe who's working in the field, but who's in control and, you know, whether politically or heading in government or um, in the business world, you know, we got a way, we have a way to go and we just got to keep at it <laughs> and uh, keep mentoring people in the field. Um, I've always uh, tried to do that, you know, when to my employees, to volunteers, to, to my grandkids, I'm brainwashing them. You know? <laughs> but, um, well, I, I think one of the other things that happens in the sciences right now, is that, you know, we have parity in, in college enrollment and in graduate school, and then it becomes difficult for many women to continue on in science because I'll tell you quite frankly, it's, it's, it's awkward to um, interview for a job when you're six months pregnant and they're not allowed to ask you about it. Um, and if you choose to take some time off, when your children are very small, then, well, you've been out of the industry for a couple of years. You know, what have you been doing? Well, you know, I had a herd of children or whatever, you know. Um, the, um, it, it, so you wind up with a lot of women functionally taking gap years and then trying to figure out how to get back into the industry, which depending on, who's hiring uh, may be more difficult. So even though we have parity in school, I don't think we have parity in representation mm-hmm. in the professions because a lot of women either can't figure out how to or are unable to get back into, um, into the industry in, in the way that where they started. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why um, um, I think if you look at college professorships, um, it's still skewed male um, in, 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 in most of the fields, not, not just forestry, uh, in most of the science fields. Um, because, you know, going through trying to get tenure in a university position, for example, while raising children, a lot of stress, you know, yeah. particularly as you're having them when you're very, you know, it's just like you've just come out of graduate school, you're having kids, you're trying to get tenure. It's very difficult and so a lot of a lot of women step back and never manage to get quite back in at the same level. Or even if they do come in, the men who haven't taken that gap mm-hmm. already have, you know, they've got four or five years in there. So so the women are always sort of trailing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that simply speaks to the way that our country looks at child rearing and child care um, and who does most of it. It's her. One thing that I would say, you know, to tag along with that is that is probably one reason why we're entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it ourselves and we know we're not going to have the support, we will get it done. We have a lot of tenacity and a lot of resilience. And, you know, I always feel like you need to um, assume good intent by people, but if they're going to slam the door in your face, there's another door and you just got to keep at it. Like Amy was saying, you just need to keep banging on those doors. And so there's a lot of, you know, tenacity, resilience and um, stick to itiveness, perseverance in this room. Do 
Do you think if you had chosen not to be an entrepreneur that you would have had the same level of success um, or the same opportunities given to you to to maybe be in like uh, vice president upper management, something like that? Do you think you would have been able to forge the same path had you not chosen to be an entrepreneur? I know that's a hard question because you're, you're dealing in something that's an unknown. I think no, you know, I, it, when I was working for other people, you know, you, uh, especially I, when I first, my first job was park naturalists for Essex County Park Commission. And that was really cool. We go outside every day. I learned from great people, you know, but then I got a job in consulting and this is the seventies for an engineering firm. And a lot of the engineers at the time, you know, were pretty tough. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I there was I I'll have to say some political pressure. So let's say they were working for a county doing a solid waste, you know, landfill siting study. So I came up with the criteria. Well, let's not put the landfill in the floodplain, right? Makes sense, right? Well, some freeholder owned that land, vacant land in the floodplain, and he kept wanting that site. We kept kicking out, put back in, you know. Or uh, I, I appreciated having the freedom to fire my clients if I had to. I only had to do it maybe twice you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> out of 4,000 jobs that I did. But to have that control, you know, really let me move forward in the field the way I wanted to, to do the field. And, um, you know, you're, as a consultant, you're still working for somebody, but, you know, you get to do it your mm-hmm. way. So for the most part. Yeah. So. Anyone else want to weigh in on that? I, I think it depends on, you know, certainly, you know, even in, even, you know, 30, 40 years ago, there were good companies where a woman could rise, you know, and there were good, you know, university departments where a woman could rise. Um, so I think it's really difficult to make a blanket statement. Um, but I think certainly... Uh, there were a lot more challenges and um, I think it's, I hope it's much easier today. Um, and there's a lot more companies where that is, um, where they are at least near gender blind when it mm-hmm. comes to having, having women uh, rise in the ranks to the highest levels. I mean, if we look at CEOs across the country, we know that that's not entirely true. Um, but we'd like to think that, that it's getting closer, getting much better, getting much easier. Well, let me let me take it in a little bit different direction, and this is something that Amy said that kind of sparked it. We we keep talking about industry interaction. What about government interaction? Um, do any of you have experience dealing with government, or and do you find that a, a difficult navigation? So, uh, you know, uh, we did a lot of permitting. You know, half half the time I felt like I was a lawyer or something. And uh, we had to interact with the agencies. And, um, you know, I felt, you you know, I felt fortunate to be in New Jersey where we have strict environmental laws. And it was important to me for the the staff of DEP to respect us and that we do a good job. And when we, and we were straightforward Honest. Oh, what a concept. And, uh, 
you know, so working with the staff, that worked out well. We we got put to the top of the pile instead of the bottom of the pile or something. I got involved with um, reviewing um, uh, proposed permit uh, regulations, you know, when they were proposed, uh, involved with committees, you know, that the government entity started to to have a say in that. Um uh, were you know sometimes the political appointees you know might have been the bosses who didn't really understand everything it might have been a little harder to, to work with them but you know you figure it out and then for quite a while now I've been chair of the open space committee here in Ratton Township and so I've had to work with politicians who really don't know a lot about why preserve open space or you know what's important about it and so Working with somebody who's not even in your field, you know, um, is even more challenging. But my, I'd always have a strategy. I'd keep my eye on what's important and try to figure out, okay, this guy who thinks he's against open space, I know he likes hunting. So I sit down with him and I, for the first time, he already has decided, you know, what I am And uh, pre- preconceived idea. And I, I said, you know, I think the biggest threat to our forest is deer, and we need to implement a hunting program. He nearly fell off of his chair, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, don't, I guess we all have this positive attitude. You know, we know what the right thing to do is, and we're going to figure out a way to do it. So, you know, we, we, we figure out how to deal with uh, how to navigate government. Awesome. I think some of that might be more of a, you know, a different type of strategy. Like, I feel like a lot of men come in and they're like, I'm going to conquer all, Mm -hmm. you know, and this other strategy of like friend and befriend and find this commonality and like, let's pull it together and make some compromises and make it work. I think at least on my end with my job, like we partner with so many different organizations constantly. And so just finding that commonality and being like, we can be friends here. Like I might not agree with that as much, but you know what we're, if we do this together, we can get a lot of stuff done. So let's, you know, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing, you know, situation where we can have that compromise. And even with government, just like you were saying, finding that commonality of deer hunting, being like, yeah, this is how we can work together. And I think, you know, that's a wonderful strategy that I've, I've seen in a lot of the women that I work with. It's not this, you know, my way or the highway attitude. Awesome. Not that men can't be that way, you know, or, or somebody of any gender be that way. But I think typically that's more of how females are raised versus males. You know, it's funny because I, my fiance and I just had this conversation. We were, we were at a function and... She noticed it right away. I didn't even realize, and maybe it's a salesman at me. She goes, I see how you operate when you meet someone new. You have a checklist that you go through until you find common ground that you can have a conversation with this person. She goes, do you even know you're doing it? I'm like, no. She goes, yeah, I'm watching you like systematically like check things off like nope, nope, nope. Okay, we have this, and then you expand, and I'm like, that's well – to me, because because I'm socially awkward, and I have to find – I hate small talk, <laughs> so I have to find something that – that I can do that, but it was very interesting. She was very in tune, and she picked it out right away. Like she knew immediately that that's what was going on, which I thought was funny. Yeah. And all these years, I hadn't thought about it. And Carolyn, one of the things you just said, like perfectly described my wife and I, where um, I'm like super competitive. It's I need to win. 
It's I don't care what the game is. I need to win. And my wife is like, well, I just want to have fun. I don't care if I don't score a point. We were playing shuffleboard, and she had so much fun playing shuffleboard. I would if I lost, I was like emotionally hurt. <laughs> and she could like she did beat me a few handful of times. Uh, we played like ten games. She probably won like four or five of them. But uh, well, we we like to win. We just have a different yeah. strategy. No, she was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. Oh, you did really good, Jeff. That's right. Yeah, so it was, yeah, we're, we're, it was we, have, we have the stealth strategy where we should. Yeah. Um, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things, you know, to speak to what Carolyn and like what everybody else was talking about is that um, sometimes in working in more uh, casual relationships where you're trying to get something accomplished with a politician, for example, or something like that, you know, there is something about creating some sort of common ground, something where we have something in commonality. And in, in, I think in some cases, there is a little bit of, when we're talking about women in the industry, no, we've been, yeah, no, I hiked through the Phragmites when I was pregnant. Yeah, I did that. I was in the salt marsh. You know, it was just like, no, you know, I've, you know, I've been in the wetlands. I've been in the woods. I've been here. I've been there. You know, it's the, the, the commonality of um, them understanding that we too get outside and get dirty, and 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 we really do understand this this industry, whatever our specialty is, um, and sometimes you know that um, leads to some really fun conversations, some some pleasant surprises. Um, you know, I have the advantage of this group is that my first name is does not necessarily indicate my gender. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I have occasionally, particularly in person, run into things where I have been hired to to speak or do something, and I show up and they're looking behind me. Um, I'm also only five foot five, and I only weigh about 130 pounds, so I'm not a big person. So um, probably my favorite story: um, I was uh, speaking at an arboretum. And I was getting, I was setting, I was doing a propagation workshop, actually, um, class. And I was getting set up. And one of the individuals from the Arboretum was helping me set up the room. And this woman came in and walked up to the guy who worked for the Arboretum and said, Dr. Eckel, you probably don't remember me. And then goes on and talks to this guy and butters him up one side and down the other. I didn't register for this class. And they said it was full. So I hope it's okay. I'm just going to, if you don't say anything. And she, he let her just go through this whole thing. And I'm at the other <laughs> end of the room setting up. And she finally finished. And he said, I'm not Dr. Eckel. That's Dr. Eckel. <laughs> and she turned the same frozen smile on her face. And she just mistaken, you know, she's trying to convince this guy that she's known him for a long time. You know, he's six foot two. I'm five foot five, man, woman, beard, no beard. You know, it was very, very, very funny. Um, and I just said, I don't handle registrations. You'll have to go see it. But she was, I love you know, it. Um, it, it has led over the years several times, um, probably half a dozen times, maybe a dozen times where I've shown up someplace and they were, they were expecting a man. Yeah, the, uh, I can, and they got me. I, Sometimes I can, people would ask me, you know, have you encountered discrimination, you know, as a woman business owner. And my company name, my name was in it, Amy Green, <laughs> Environmental Consultants. So 
those people didn't call the ones who didn't want yeah. a woman working for them. But sometimes it would get back to me. I worked with this great en- local engineer, Jim Hill, and he had a client down the road needed some wetlands work. And I sent, he asked, and I sent a proposal to his client and you know, didn't hear back, didn't get the job. And I asked Jim, you know, what happened? Oh, he doesn't want you working for him because you're a woman. You know, like so, so I wouldn't I wouldn't hear those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, I can relate to Randy on the first name because I get that on the flip side the other way because they hear Fran and they they'll talk to me and still think I'm a woman over the phone. Um, And I'm not even exaggerating. I know that sounds funny, but at least once a month I get called Baber Hun. At least, (laughs) at least, and it's you know. No, that's not an exaggeration, uh, Fran. So it's, you know, and then I try to deepen my voice and go, thanks, baby, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's I, so I see it on on that. And just it's a, it, it does surprise me hearing that on my end. So it's yeah, that's I can I can somewhat relate to that. Um, but I do want to change the direction a little bit. And I know we keep getting sidetracked maybe a little bit. We we have focused a lot on the negative and and that's because I feel like the negative has to be acknowledged. Um, not that I want to dwell in that, but I, I feel kind of you have to acknowledge it to move on. And but the positives, you know, I, I want to move towards that because as it becomes more of a fifty-fifty or or better, it, it has made our industry a way better industry. Um, and I I want your opinion on how you feel it's changed and how you feel it's changed for the better over the years, and and where it still needs to be. And we can start anywhere. How, Debbie, actually, how about with you? So since I have a little bit different industry, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm the best person to speak to this, okay. but um, I do think that, um, you know, everyone faces resistance and it really doesn't matter what gender you are, right? You know, there's plenty of, people that you click with and plenty of people that you don't. And so I think, um, you know, the positives are just having that greater diversity um, should increase everything. But like, um, oh, gosh, I don't remember who said it, but Randy or Carolyn or Amy, I'm not sure. But, you know, there's women out there that can be just as abrasive (laughs) as uh, Mm -hmm. men, you know, and just as questioning your intelligence or whatever, and maybe sometimes even more so. (laughs) So, you know, I I don't know that uh, I think that there's just a lot of opportunities and you just keep knocking on those doors and. Something's going to open up, and I think it's it's good to point out that some you know we always talk about like all inclusivity, but some people are just bad people, you know, male yeah. or female. There's just some people that are bad, bad people. So <laughs> and that, well, that makes it challenging. I like to think you know they had challenges. Yes, in their yes, <laughs> yeah, because that's a, sometimes that's a that's result of something that Amy. that could be that could be an an upbringing issue. That could be a lot of things. It's it's. And, and I understand that, and it that that makes it difficult. But I love trying to find that common ground to to be able to work because, you know, even though some people may have those challenges, you still have to work with those people, so um, or interact with those people. So you have to find a way to make it 
work regardless. But does does anyone else would like to weigh in just how you feel, like how it's changed over the years, where it needs to go, how it's gotten better? Well, I, I was sort of sorry to hear you say that. I, I, I didn't really didn't want us to be focusing on the negative. You know, yeah, I thought yeah. I, and we either were kind just, of telling some funny stories about some crazy things like yeah, yeah. trying to find pregnancy clothes that worked <laughs> yeah. when you were working in the field. <laughs> But, you know, in the last 50 years, there's been a huge cultural shift, um, and, and we're all better for it. Um, you know, women who, who, who adore the outdoors, who want to work in the outdoors, there are so many opportunities for them now. Um, and they're no longer told that they have to be, you know, one of three, you know, jobs, mm-hmm. you know, te- what, teacher, nurse, and something else. I forget what yeah. the other one was. They used a secretary. Secretary. There we go. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many opportunities for women now. Um, and it's, it's, it's so nice to know that some of these stories that we're telling seem so archaic and so bizarre that that happened, you know, um, because, you know, not only are women better for it, but the industry is better, better for it. Every industry is better when you don't cut off 50% of the population from being able to contribute. So, um, you know, we really have, and, and speaking to Amy's comment about some of these folks have challenges, and some of them, it's the, it's the way the industry they've come up through, mm-hmm. the families they've come up through, the community that they've come up through, and it's just, um, it it's it it, it may, requires them to do a bit of a little mental gymnastics to realize that maybe they've been told all their lives or everything they've experienced, that women don't do certain things. Um, And when they realize that they do, they're like, oh, oh, okay. You know, I mean, that that takes a bit of a shift. Um, But there's been an awful lot of that going on in the last 50 years. You know, so I think now it's it's more the minority of folks that um, have struggles um, with, with dealing with women in the industry. And the majority of people are just like, doesn't doesn't matter, you know, whether your name's Amy, Randy, Fran, Bob, or Steve. It doesn't make any difference. To them. One, one yeah, I mean, for me, my experience, like I, I know, you know, I'm on the younger end that I didn't have a lot of the same challenges, you know, that um, Randy and, and Amy had, you know, going through school and, and entering the industry that wasn't, they'd already kind of like paved the way. Like it was okay to do ecology, you know, and, and be a woman. And, um, you know, and I had a lot of really wonderful, uh, experiences with other women, like my graduate advisor, you know, she held me to a very high standard, but was also like my biggest cheerleader in grad school, you know, really like pushing me forward. And even an interaction I had, um, which, uh, Fran and Tom, I know Jen Rogers, who's the student director for Mercer County Park Commission. I was consulting with her on a project, which I was partnering with another organization. And uh, I didn't, I wasn't quite feeling the way that they wanted to manage the project. And it was really my project. And they were just, you know, uh, kind of assisting. And she's like, Carolyn, is this your project or not? Like, you make that decision. I was like, oh. I do make that decision, you know, like, <laughs> like her just really, you know, cheering me on and being like, you can do this. You can, you know, and having those other women in your, in your court that really, you know, bolster you up and, and other men in your court that say, you know, you are capable, you can do this. And, you know, I, I, 
I think that's kind of the common thread between all of us, whether it was, you know, our, our parents supporting us or, you know, having professors or other mentors saying like, you know, don't be this weak mouth. Like, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be in the room and you take up some space. So, you know, I think things have definitely come a lot farther. It's for my experience witnessing, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go back to what I feel like. This is a story that that still bothers me to this day. And I'll never forget it. It was ni- It's not that long ago. It was 1996. So we're only talking 25 years. And I was at an association meeting um, that was on public grounds, and all the attendees were males, and there was one female who I had known for a very long time. She was a colleague. We had worked together um, who was being groped by um, someone in the industry who had had way too much to drink, was all over, and she very graciously just sat there and kind of took it, and no one said anything. No one said anything, including myself, and that's kind of why it still haunts me. So here's this meeting going on, and during the meeting, he's sitting next to her, and he's he's slobbering all over. And she just kind of sat there and uncomfortably smiled during this. And that was part of my interaction in this industry as as a young adult, kind of coming up, you know. And and I look back and I'm like, that really happened, and that's not that long ago. And this happened, and the person that was doing it, the, the person that it was done to is no longer in the industry. She's left the industry. The person that was doing it, his, his, uh, he's fallen from grace in the industry because people – even though no one said anything at the time, no one forgot that and kind of he's not – he's in the industry, but no one chooses to really deal mm-hmm. with them. So you know, I feel that – I don't think that that's something that would happen today, and I feel like it's a different environment. But I don't know that for sure. I don't know what happens. You know, I don't see it happen, but I I can't say that it doesn't. You know, it and does. that's that's what bothers me. <laughs> it does. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that um, it was probably within the last ten, less than ten years, one of the research. Uh, that I was working for. I don't want to name names. But we were doing work and one of the contractors that would let us onto the property wanted me, at the time I was 23, uh, no, 24. He wanted me to take him out to dinner and spend time with him socially outside of work so that he would let me onto the property. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And he was in his 40s and my supervisor at the time told me it's not a big deal. Just, just do it because he's the one that gives the access. And so I called HR and I was like, absolutely not. Like, what do you think is going to happen with me and this guy (laughs) alone? Or why do I have to take him out to dinner? And if I was a dude, he would not be doing that. Like he's, he's not going to stop me from getting onto this property that we have a government contract saying that we can be on. (laughs) So that I spend social time with him. So no, it's still absolutely happening, but you know, it's probably less um, in the public view, you know, but it's still happening. That's that, that hasn't gone away, but at least now there's resources like HR. When I told HR, they were on it, you know, and uh, made sure I did not have to take this man out on dates. 
<laughs> during my job, you know, but it's it's not gone. That's that's sad. That's sad. And like you said, it's probably not publicly. What I regret is at that time not having said something at that time. Mm-hmm. And I know if put in that position again, I would totally say something. So, okay. and I hope other people feel that way as well. So, um, well, I think that's going back to a question Tom had earlier when Carolyn was saying, just you know, just don't act like a creep. You know, yeah. if you're in a if you're in a public situation, or if you're in a meeting. Um, and you see someone maybe having had too much to drink, maybe not having had too much to drink. Um, yeah, that's not an excuse. Creep, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, you know, it, it, say something. Yeah. You know, you know, totally. point out to the creep that he's being a creep. Yeah, we you know, escort him away. Yes, in one of the these. I've one of our segments on our, our, our other podcast episode of the buzz. I talk about some of the books that, that we've been reading and there was a book and it was basically breaking down that. And it was saying how usually if, if you were to see someone in trouble and you were alone, most people do something in that instance. It's when you're in a group, people are like, Oh, well they aren't, they're okay with it. And a lot of people are looking at a situation like yeah. friends and saying, Oh, this person's doing something wrong. But I'm not the one who should say something. It should be Bob or Phil or, or someone else in the room. And since they aren't saying anything, it's not my place to step in. We need to recognize that it is our place to step in. When we see something but, and someone's in trouble or someone needs help, we need to step in. But it place. wasn't just that because yeah. after the fact, I talked to people while still there and said, what was that? And they're like, oh, that's just how he gets. Mm-hmm. No, that's not. Yeah. You know, It was perception. And I think a lot of people because of – where he was at in the industry, people were intimidated to speak out against him because they felt that it would impact their career negatively as well. So, which is well, wrong. It, it's it's wrong. Um, well, we we speak up, right? We speak up when we see, you know, things happening in the environment, or you know, mm-hmm. people selling invasive species at nurseries, or you know, whatever yeah. the, the issue is, or idling your truck, or. Or whatever, and totally. you know, we see a positive path forward, and we we make it happen. We plant yeah. trees in the Sourlands, or we have <laughs> an electric vehicle charging stations, or we make we pay people for their milkweed seeds, or, right. or we yeah. start our own native plant nursery. Totally. You know, we we have this awesome. Drive. So, so I think being like a good ally, and whether that's yeah. to people of color, transgender people, you know, people of all races that you need to be their, um, their advocate. It's the responsibility. And this is something that I say with my job, like all the time, it's your job to save this Ireland as much as it's my job. Yeah. It's your job to go out and plant trees. It's your job to remove invasive species. It's your job to say something if somebody's acting inappropriately, mm-hmm. you awesome. don't, you know, and, and it's, it's scary and it's really uncomfortable, but you know, that's where it's, this is our planet. This is our community. This is, this is who, this is where we live. This is who we are, you know, and it's, it's our job to be the ambassadors of the community that we're building. So, you know, I think we can all do it and it's scary, you know, and I've been in that same situation too, where something was happening. I was like, uh, 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 uh." (laughs) you know, it's hard, Mm -hmm. but you know, forgive yourself and next time make a different choice. I mean, that's, that's all that we can do in our lives. 
So moving, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I'm I would, sorry. I, 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 sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead. I um, just want to mention, I think courage is, um, it's a muscle, right? You know, it's something that when we exercise courage, it's easier to do after a while. And so, you know, it does take a lot of courage to stand up to some of these things that you're talking about. And um, I think the more that you do it, the more you persevere, the more you don't let it happen um, or you see and you speak up, the less it's going to happen. So That's an excellent, excellent thought. Thank you. I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. So I was going to get and I'm. Uh, the question we had written down was what advice would you give to women interested in entering your field of work? But I'm actually going to change it. And what advice would you give to people interested in, in, in entering the field? Because <laughs> it's, it's really not just women who need to get in this field. We need more people in this field overall. Correct. Yeah. I, I have given it a little bit of thought. <laughs> so uh, go for it. <laughs> Learn as much as you can in school. About and don't forget to learn about the environmental regulations because they're such a, an important piece of why we're protecting. You know, it's the vehicle to protect the things we care about. Um, get out in the field and learn about the plants, not just the plants, the soils, the hydrology, the geology, the climate, and how it all fits together. Yeah, a lot of times I'll see that, and like maybe in the nursery industry, they're so focused on the plant, but you got to understand the whole system. Um, volunteer your time. So don't be afraid to do something and not get paid for it because it'll pay off later. Um, with NGOs, uh, uh, do internships, whether you get paid or not, because you're going to learn there and you're going to make contacts there. And, um, and don't get discouraged. So when you apply for a job, um, don't be afraid to don't say, oh, they didn't get back to me. I'm not going to get it. Contact them again. You know, they're busy people who are hiring people, mm-hmm. you know. So if they say, oh, this person's putting themselves in front of me again and they'll take another look and they show initiative. So don't be shy. And I think this whole email communication stuff is a negative. I think that um, you need to add in there some personal communication, whether it's Zoom or phone or, or in person, which I guess we'll be allowed to do. Um, so that those are some of the things I've told the people over the years. Yeah. No, I think that's one of the things that when you said words. we focus on things is at the nursery. Yeah. We're focused on growing great plants and especially at other nurseries, not where we try and look at the bigger picture here. But uh, so many people can get focused on, oh, this plant needs to look beautiful so that someone will buy it, and they'll use things that are detrimental. Like if you're growing a milkweed plant, the purpose of that plant isn't so much. It's to feed caterpillars and feed uh, milkweed beetles. It's to feed the whole food web. part of the food web. And if you're going to use a a pesticide on it, well, you're cutting off the part of the food web so that that plant looks good, but it's not serving its purpose. So no, that was a really good point as well, is is seeing that whole big picture. That's what we preach all the time is it's more – you're in the business. It's more than just plants. It's more than just just insects. It's the whole the whole cycle, really. You know, the the funny thing is being doing the podcast and talking about it weekly, like Debbie says, it is like a muscle. You, mm-hmm. you it it comes into focus much more often because we're talking yeah. about it more often, given that opportunity. So, 
what what other advice would you give? So with my interns, I constantly tell them to question me all the time. One, questioning, you know, it's good for me because if I am talking faster than I'm thinking, <laughs> they need to call me out on that. Um, you know, but I think it's really important that, you know, you're not just out trying to prove yourself. You need to improve yourself. And so every single time, like, I'm out doing sight walk, I'm asking so many questions. And I definitely push nerves on some people because they think, I think that they think that I'm questioning them. And it's not that. It's that I'm trying to understand their process as to why they want to do something this way um, so that I can understand the whole context and be able to replicate that if necessary at other sites. Um, and so... I think a lot of people are afraid to ask questions because then they're going to look ignorant. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. So, you know, when I'm having volunteers out or when I have my interns out, you know, I'm constantly stopping and being like, did you understand that term that I said? You know, because I want to build that same muscle in them to say, I don't understand what that means. Can you explain it? Because that's what's going to start for them building all those connections and understanding these processes and also to be really curious because when you're curious, that's when you can start exploring and that's when you can start making a difference. Debbie, how about you? Oh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Randy. I apologize. I'm sorry. One of the, um, one of the things, and this, this speaks to to both what Amy and Caroline just said, you know, we, even in school, we, we, we tend to wind up with a lot of labels you know, and you're either a botanist or you're an entomologist or you're a forester or you're a soil ecologist. And it's, I've always found it very frustrating. Um, the people that know everything about plants and know nothing about insects, the people that know everything about insects and know nothing about plants. You know, it's, um, I had a, a young girl, um, March for science a couple of years ago. She wanted to grow up, be an entomologist and, she, her mother said, what advice can you give her? I said, tell her to learn about the whole environment where the insects live and the plants that they live on. Look at the whole package. Um, you know, one of the things I, I, I tell young people, you know, college students, high school students, follow your passion and do what you love. You know, nobody wants a physician working on them. No one wants a surgeon working on them who hates what he does or what she does and is only doing it because their parents made them be a physician. Do what you love. Follow your passion. And don't let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do. Don't let anyone tell you what you can and cannot be. Follow your passion and see where it leads you. When I was in high school, I didn't know what an entomologist was. That was not a word in my lexicon. It certainly was nothing that the Guidance counselors were saying, well, you could always go to college and be an entomologist. That was not on the list. You know, um, learn about, you know, areas that are tangential to your specialty and it will strengthen you. But at the end, don't let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do. Awesome. These are great words of advice, like Debbie. Randy and be like, I'll show you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not correct. <laughs> yeah, I really, I agree with the, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of biodiversity, which includes the soil and the air and the plants and the water and everything. So um, 
you know, really taking everything as a whole picture and trying to figure out how you can see what's going on around you and get involved in making things better. So because there are people out there who are working toward making things better, where if you can insert yourself in in those situations where you can um, increase momentum in a positive direction, um, you'll learn a lot from the people who are already working. And then, you know, once you, like Amy said, you'll make those connections um, and you'll be able to take your own ideas or maybe even think of some ideas while you're working with other people. So as you're first starting out, you know, see what's going on and get involved and make things better. And then when you have the great idea that you can go and do something, um, you're going to have a built-in support system that you've already built. So. Awesome. These are wonderful. Where were you guys at when I was looking to get into the, this industry? <laughs> yeah. um, so we always, <laughs> we always end this with this most simplest question that is also, the hardest yeah, question. Hardest question. <laughs> but I'm going to make it a two-part because I, I have found today's episode so inspiring um, that I want to add – another aspect to it. So not only do we want to know what each of your favorite plants is, I would like you to each name one person that inspired you. Um, and it can be for any reason, uh, but just one person that inspired you and why. I'll give you all a second because I know <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing something at you that was not planned, but I'm sitting here so inspired right now. I'm just curious who makes you feel that way as well, like as far as in the industry goes or even outside of the industry? It doesn't matter. But um, – and I'm not looking for for uh, a term paper, just you know, quick reason why why that, that person's inspiring to you. Carolyn, would you like to go first? No? <laughs> um, okay. Well, let's uh, do the plant because I got to do this last time. I know I listed like six plants the last time. <laughs> it, so did, it, did it change? It did it change? <laughs> I'm going to say my current favorite plant right this very moment because it looks so beautiful is Nissa sabbatica. Um, that red is just like the perfect fall time red. Um, so black gum for uh, uh, for the common name. It's such a lovely, lovely tree. Just bought a lot of it from you guys. <laughs> I think the color um, with the glossiness of that mm -hmm. leaf just makes it pop oh, yeah. even more. I just added to that my YouTube video that's going to come out tomorrow. <laughs> I just shot it last oh, really? night because it looks awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like such an underrated tree. It's such a great tree for um, you know all different types of insects, and I hope to see people planting that more as a tree at their home. So. I, there are so many folks that have inspired me personally and have been wonderful mentors. I know I mentioned some of them, you know, my family has always been very supportive of me and the professors, Dr. Jason Grabowski, Dr. Frank Gallagher, and Dr. Jennifer Krumitz have been just foundational. I think a lot of the good things that I have grown into has been a direct result of their inspiration. But lately, I've been feeling very moved by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer after reading Breeding Sweetgrass, and I've been taking a lot of the things that she said in that book and applying it to what I'm doing in my job. 
So um, I guess that's a, a big lot of people um, and, you know, and my children and, you know, wanting things to be different and wanting things to be better. So uh, I don't have a clear cut answer, but I think most things don't have a clear cut answer other than plant more trees. (laughs) (laughs) Debbie, would you like to go next? I I bet I can guess the genus at least of your favorite plant. (laughs) (laughs) I do absolutely love milkweed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I, I actually like common milkweed. So it's uh, a little wild, you know, but that's, that's what I love. So, um, the people who inspire me, one is my dad, who you really said you can do anything. Um, you know, that is, you know, use your mind, use your connections and use your, um, don't, don't let people tell you what you can and can't do. And so that's something that has been with me my entire life. And so I'm grateful for that. And then on a wider scale, um, Doug tell me is someone that, you know, he sees a solution to our huge loss of biodiversity and native plants. And so he's really inspiring to me. I've never actually met him personally, but, you know, he's right on. (laughs) He knows what what needs to be done. So I um, am really excited about that. And I am, I feel like a worker in his, um, little cue even though we've never met but it's an inspiration awesome great choices debbie one thing um you mentioned that you're a milkweed entrepreneur but we didn't really dive into what that means so quickly tell everyone what that what is a milkweed entrepreneur because i think i learned a little bit about your company and it's crazy but genius at the same time the things that you're (laughs) doing Yeah, so we believe that people protect what they know and love and use. And so um, when when we first started this business, um, we were trying to sell milkweed to people. Like the, the down comforters and pillows people were like, hey, milkweed's a great additive to that. It's hypoallergenic. It's a hollow fiber. It'll whisk moisture away from your body. It'll do all these things. And they're like, you guys are crazy. For not. And so we are not doing this, which was great because we started our first business, which was down comforters and pillows with 30% milkweed in it. So, and it enhances the natural properties of down. And um, so that was our first business that we did. And um, it has all kinds of um, secrets that it holds. Um, we found that the oil from the plant is an actual pain reliever. Um, we call it the other weed. <laughs> and so it is something that you can actually apply it to your skin. And so we have another business that uses the oil from the plant. You know, for a while, um, you couldn't give milkweed seed away. <laughs> it was not something anyone wanted to plant. So, uh, you know, in 2015, when there was the huge monarch crisis, um, that's when the seed business for milkweed really came into something substantial. So before that we were like, okay, what are we going to do with this stuff? And so it was uh, really, it's a great moisturizer. It's really interesting. So as a perennial, right, you know, hopefully at some point we're going to have enough milkweed to 
be um, handling the monarch migration. And But we found that if it doesn't benefit people um, in some way, they're going to end up killing it. So we'll just repeat history of eradicating milkweed. So when we can find a good use for it or several good uses for it, then uh, people will protect it and encourage it to grow more. Yeah, that's no. It's that's I have a little bit of a, a milkweed lip balm that you guys sent me, and this stuff's awesome. I'm not a big wow. like chapstick guy, but okay. it's like other and it's funny that Tom didn't share. Well, I guess you're not sharing <laughs> yeah, lip balm with someone, <laughs> but no, it's really nice, and it smells. If you know what milkweed smells like, it does smell like it milkweed. smells like milkweed. But uh, if you don't, it probably just smells like like uh, plain chapstick. But yeah, yeah. So this is actually a yarn that's made oh, with. No. Um, 30% milkweed. Wow. And 20 or er, um, 70% cotton. And then we have a group that we work with in um, Minnesota that collects milkweed. And then they have a sheep, they have a local sheep mm-hmm. farm and they um, make yarn with that. Yeah. And they have 10% milkweed fiber in there. Wow. wow. So just different things that you can incorporate it into. It also is something that um, <clears throat> that will clean up oil spills. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, I have a video on on YouTube that shows that we with will, the Sustainable Monarch nonprofit. We will share that in our show notes on the website. Right. So we'll make sure we put the link to the YouTube video for that. So we're going to put Great. the links for, for all your companies on there as well. So um, Thank you. Amy, would you like to go next? Give it a shot. <laughs> we don't give short answers. <laughs> That's all right. We we, we left enough um, time so that we we can you can give us the the longest answer you'd like. So yeah, I'd like to say, um, one of the people I admire, uh, Christine, Doctor Christine Papa Georges. She was my boss. And my first consulting job and my second one, she went to the other company and after a while I followed her. She was one of the first women to get a PhD from uh, Princeton University. Uh, she got it in ecology. And she really taught me how to um, do studies appropriately, technical writing, you know, have good ethics, you know, like, oh, I guess I had that, but just, she really taught me how to be a good scientist and consultant at the same time. And, uh, I, I she's retired now. She's, she's pretty fantastic. My current <laughs> idol is, uh, Barbara Brummer, executive director of New Jersey chapter, of the nature conservancy. She just works tirelessly and is brilliant and, and just, you know, thinks big picture and small picture and is really making a difference in both New Jersey and the world. Um, and my husband, uh, John Bell, and uh, he, was a very, uh, he was one of the good engineers. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he designed recreation facilities, but he also helped us with designing mitigation projects. Mm-hmm. But his, what I admired about him was his ethics. And every day in life and in business, you seem to encounter an ethical problem and you try to seek a solution. And, you know, you think, oh, in school, it's just, you know, right or wrong, black or white, but life isn't like that. And you have to figure out what the right thing to do is, you know, for people or for the environment even. And he was always a good counsel. 
and I admire my kids. They're uh, uh, my son Joe. Uh, you ask him about electric vehicles or renewable energy, man, he'll he'll talk to you for hours. And my daughter is uh, working for a nonprofit, Working Wheels, and and uh, she's an amazing teacher, and and they're both raising amazing kids. So favorite plant? Oh God, <laughs> how do we do that? Can you pick just one? And you already picked black oak. No, no, I can't. So my favorite big tree is swamp white oak, quercus bicolor. I love like stumbling upon it in the woods. It's just stately and, and, you know, it's a good landscape plant now to feeds animals. My favorite small tree is sweet bay magnolia, uh, magnolia virginiana. It's just something about it those big flowers that bloom one by one and smell good and it's just a delight my favorite larger shrub is american beauty berry uh calicarpa americana you know i spent some time in florida and and i encountered it here in flemington they planted it in the landscape believe it or not all right i love those purple berries <laughs> and then um small shrub is a. Uh, Steeplebush, Spirea tomentosa, one of the early plants I learned when I was park naturalist for Estes County Park Commission. A nice wetland plant. Purple flowers, my favorite color. And I have it growing in my planting bed here, and it makes me happy. So, go ahead. <laughs> awesome. Great choices. Spirea, you know, it's funny when I look around landscapes and see so many Japanese spirea in landscapes and the, the native ones are such beautiful options. Um, it just baffles my mind. It, it really does. Every time I see like a gold mound spirea and I'm like, oh, come, on. come on, there's such great options. But Randy, how about Tomatoes you? are deer resistant too. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah. The deer don't eat them. Yeah. Awesome. Randy, how about you? Inspiration well, that- and favorite plant. Inspiration. Apparently, I'm feeling very nostalgic um, when I was looking at the list. So, so in some ways, um, well, my parents, because they had no idea what I was doing or going into, and they would point that out. Well, we we have no idea what you do, but go for it. You know, which was, I I think, was really great of both. My father was a safety engineer. Uh, My mother was a dietitian, and you know, the fact that I took over the vegetable gardens. And fell into the creek on a regular basis and took over all the gardens and was that child, as I previously pointed out. Um, and they were, they were, you know, go for it. Do, do what you want to do. We don't understand what you're doing, but go do what you're going to do. And I, I want to give them a really shout, big shout out for that. Um, and um, my Aunt Verna, my Tante Verna, who got her master's degree in 1924. Wow. Um, and, you know, she, she never married. She was a teacher. You couldn't marry and be a teacher back then. Um, and um, she, was, she was just an elegant, bright woman. Um, and I wish she had lived longer and I'd gotten to know her better. Um, and then two high school teachers, uh, Dr. Castelli, who passed away last year, um, who taught biology in high school. And it was a fabulous biology class. Um, and was very, very engaging, and we went into a lot of interesting places. And I think um, it was it was the first time I remember 
fascinating structured science being taught, if that makes any sense, um, along with along with Carolyn Haas, who was the physics teacher. In both cases, they were just fabulous, inspirational teachers um, when I was in high school. Um, and, of course, my family. Um, you know, my husband, who um, is also a naturalist nerd, which is a wonderful thing, um, and both my children who were doomed to also become naturalist nerds and both work with me um, now uh, full time. So it's, uh, you know, we, we joke because we go on hikes and it takes us so long to get anywhere on a hike. So I think, you know, taken together, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those were family members and then just everyone that's working in this field. I mean, that's sort of a broad umbrella, but you know, um, there's so many people now, um, you know, including the present company, uh, that are that are that are teaching people and and leading people um, gently in the right direction. Because you know, when we talked about education earlier, um, uh, sometimes it, it's it's small steps making people understand that yes, those worms on their milkweeds, oh yes, those are monarch caterpillars, and they will turn into monarchs um, because not everyone. Quite. They know they should plant those milkweeds, but why? Um, uh, so those those are my inspirations, I suppose. The things that have made it, people that have made a difference in my life. Um, and then as for us, oh Lord, a favorite. <laughs> um, That's why we saved uh, you for last. I was really interested to see what you would pick. Well, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so um, again, apparently feeling nostalgic. Uh, favorite big tree. I'm going to say um, sweet gum. Uh, liquid wow. amber syraca fluid. Uh, here's a secret. I grew up on Gumwood Drive. Um, my yard had a lot of sweet gums in it. My father hated them um, because he hated raking them up. Um, uh, and my brothers and I would throw them at each other endlessly. <laughs> Great fun. Um, I love it. And right now they're turning a beautiful color. They're just a gorgeous fall color in the landscape. They, they really are. And Randy, that was actually another one that I in my my nursery walk yeah. YouTube video for the week, and uh, you said the name way better than I did. I think I gave up. <laughs> I said liquid ambars. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to fake just, it. They're just so beautiful this time of year, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, is that a sugar maple?" I'm like, "No, mm-hmm. that's a sweet gum." Purple. Um, the um, coral honeysuckle, Lanisra sempervirens. Um, I, I don't think I learned it down South, which they tend to call it coral honeysuckle. I guess up here, most people call it trumpet honeysuckle, but I guess I lived in North Carolina for 10 years. So as far as I'm concerned, it's coral honeysuckle. Um, and it's, um, I, I just really love it. Um, it's, it's a beautiful plant. I wish I'd known about it when I was a kid. I'm sure I would have planted it on my parents' property because I planted a lot of stuff on my parents' property and just hollow Joe pie weed. Mm-hmm. hollow joe pie weed we have one that's growing out of a crevice in the production area so it gets all the water at once and it's well this year it lodged with ida it fell over but um it grows with all that water it grows to be about 12 feet tall there <laughs> you know, the ones next to my house are only about five or six feet tall because that's a fairly dry, dry garden but um just the number of pollinators that they attract for a long time in the fall is just awesome so um I can't pick favorite plants, but, you know, given this moment today, um, that's a short list of some of the ones I really, really like. Randy, could you please plug your, your nursery as well? 
Oh, sure. Uh, Toad Shade Wildflower Farm. Uh, we're a mail order nursery out of Frenchtown, New Jersey, and uh, we're currently offering, um, I think, about 300 different species of native plants and native plant seeds. Awesome. That we produce all ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's wow. I have an order in my shopping cart right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have been shopping during the podcast. <laughs> 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 I just want to point out that I'm in Nebraska in the Sand Hills, and so we do we do not like trees. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Yeah, it's because of our li- landscape. Very fair. Very very fair. This this has been wonderful. I I can't thank everyone enough. I I think this has probably been our most candid podcast uh, with conversations and. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Carolyn, before I forget, I want to share with you Breeding Sweetgrass, what I've started doing with that book. Anytime I have a friend tell me that they've taken an interest in native plants or ask me a question, I get on Amazon and have a, a copy sent to them. And I'm yeah, like, I'd like this. Book. Yeah, I'm like, I'd like for this to be your, in, if you're interested, I would like this to be your intro. So I've probably given away 10 to 12 copies of that one right now. And it's, it really, for, for someone that, if that's your intro, it's a very beautiful, uh, to me, it's spiritual intro mm-hmm. to that, and it's it's very very inspirational. I can understand why you would say that. But our conversations yeah. today have been so candid and wonderful. I thank you everyone so much for for being a part of this. Especially it was kind of last minute, so we we appreciate you taking as much time as you did today to be a part of this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's really it's talking about inspirational people. There was a reason we selected the people we did, and uh, at some moment or another, you've all been inspirational. Definitely in my life, probably friends yeah. as well. Oh, totally. Even though Debbie, we've never met in person, but your posts on on LinkedIn are, are really inspirational. Are phenomenal, yeah. So yeah. it's uh, you're all doing really great things, and we're really happy to have you. So um, with that, that's going to wrap it up. So this was, I think, of all the episodes we've had, I've learned more from this one than than any other <laughs> single episode. I agree. So, but with that, thank you for joining us today. Today, we hope you enjoyed listening to this rude discussion. For more information, visit the Native Plants Healthy Planet website for links. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. While we're giving out thank yous, let's say thank you to RJ Comer for our theme music to Rooted Discussions. Make sure you uh, listen or download his music at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. You can follow us at Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, or uh, Native – Native plants underscore healthy planets, and also at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget we have the question and comment line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that one more time, 215-346-6189. Call in, ask ask us a question, leave us a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we'll answer it to the best of our ability. And uh, wow, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group has grown, I think, 200 members in the last week. So that little circle is is getting a lot bigger. So uh, make sure you welcome all the new members. And uh, the posts have been extremely inspirational and, and positive. And I can't thank everyone for being a part of that. I am happy to report that there are now hundreds of Native Plants Healthy Plant t-shirts out there in some design or another. Um, I'm actually wearing a new design. Hold on. I'll- oh, yeah. Fran's wearing one of them. <laughs> And that's a little like prairie meadow with a heartbeat type thing. Nice. But, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, um, and that money is going to some of these nonprofit organizations that we have on the podcast to help support their mission. They're doing the boots on the ground work. 
and uh, and we've chosen our first two. One of them is the Sauerlands Conservancy, which Carolyn is is the steward. What's your, your stewardship director? Stewardship director of, and then uh, then the Native Habitat Project, and that cutoff was actually just the end of October, so they're going to be getting their money soon, and then we're going to be looking for some some new folks to donate to. Awesome. Um, Thank you. You can find those shirts by going to the Native Plants Healthy Planet website, which is www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, there's a little banner on the top that says T-shirts. You can also find our podcast there, but you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, really wherever you consume your podcasts. When you're there, do us a favor and leave a five-star review. If you write something nice about us with that five-star review, we will, I'll give you the shout-out on the podcast as well. And, um, and hit subscribe. It really goes a long way. And uh, with that... Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Thank you to all of our guests for spending time with us today. Um, And coming up next week, we'll have a new episode of The Buzz. The subject uh, still to be determined, but we'll figure that out. And until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.